and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Today, I have yet another good friend of mine, Aaron Carr. How are you doing, Aaron? Good, Ian. How are you? I'm brilliant. Uh, Aaron, do you just want to share a little bit about yourself, where you are? Sure. So I am in the United States, specifically in the state of Michigan, uh, which is considered the Midwest. Um, Our specific state is surrounded by water. Um, but I particularly work in an area that is more blue collar, um, a lot of old steel mills. Um, the auto industry is pretty big here. So a lot of our, um, a lot of our people work uh, on the assembly line. Uh, so they're blue collar, uh, hardworking people. The context is uh, primarily um, uh, conservative in a lot of ways. Uh, um, still got old family values and yet we can see a lot of progressive uh movement afoot and so it's made ministry kind of unique cool so what kind of church uh do you have what's the size like and where's the location sure so we're presbyterian um we're a conservative uh presbyterian church and our church is particularly um older in this area it'd be nothing compared to where you're from but um we're our church was founded in 1903 i always explain that uh when it was planted i was not the pastor so just to kind of keep everybody straight and narrow there uh but the church size is about 500 people uh we run uh two services in the morning one at 9 a.m and one at 11 we have three pastors on staff um and then we have a um additional staff of about nine people yeah well it, it's funny that we uh, I, I often joke because everyone I interview I call a friend uh, and a brother most of them are like obviously brothers because we're brothers in Christ but uh, surprisingly quite a lot of them are my real friends as well you are one of them uh, you've been out to stay with me and my family several times uh, but it'd be interesting to, to share how this relationship started Considering I'm petrified of aeroplanes and I've never been to America, how did you hook up and, and start a church partnership? Yeah, so the journey for us is unique. We, we were really a church revitalization. And um, just to give a little bit of background, um, I came to this church in 2005, and the real goal was to plant me out of this church after I served here for a few years. Our senior pastor at the time got esophageal throat cancer, and he had to eventually step down. The church asked me to step in as interim with one of the other pastors. We did that for a couple years, and they asked me to stay on as the what we call senior pastor or lead pastor. At that point, the church um, was in in a movement of revitalization. And yet my heart was still towards church planting. So I really petitioned the elders that if I was going to stay, I wanted us to be serious about our involvement in church planting. And so here at the church, we have a um, kind of a three-step investment in church planting. First, we, we physically make investments in church planting, which is by supporting financially as well as with other resources. Then we we secondly work to mature planters, which is through our residency program. 
And third, we seek to send out uh, church plants. And so make, mature, and multiply is kind of our mantra. Um, it was in that first phase that we were really seeking to continue to build relationships. And we started to um, get invested in um, maturing planters. And we had already established a couple of churches that we sent out that we decided that we wanted to look um, outside of our specific context and think about globally what we should be doing. And just at the time, we were kind of thinking that we were going to be working with uh, an organization in Africa. Um, things just weren't happening. Um, I had a, a Bible translator lined up. We had a uh, relationship with a school that we were going to use to help develop church planters. Um, we were going to use some of our training and what we use for our residencies with them to help begin to send church plants. But it just kept re, re hitting roadblock, roadblock after roadblock. And it was right in the midst of that, that I got this email from this unknown guy. And he was requesting help from other Acts 29 churches, um, which, by the way, that was part of our revitalization. When I talked to the elders, I said I wanted to join a network that was serious about church planting. And so we joined the Acts 29 network in 2012, 2013, right around that time frame. And, um, and so the connection between Ian and I is Acts 29, and that's how he found me, sent me an email. And it was at that point because of our inability to really move anything with Africa that we had thought was gonna happen that we began to see the possibility of partnering with um, New Life. And so my elders set me on a plane and my wife, my, myself, uh, my, uh, one of our elders who is in charge of missions and his wife, we uh, ended up coming out and, uh, and checking out uh, New Life Church and Ian Williamson and the whole crew there. So that's kind of the story. So you got this random email off this random bloke, this uh, <laughs> this, this cheeky cheek, cheeky bloke who's just uh, emailing pastors in America, hoping that uh, they will support him. Uh, yeah, partner with him and, and help us reach Middlesbrough. So I know uh, you you were a fan of Spurgeon. Uh, you 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 into your church history. So what was your thought about to England, the home of Spurgeon, uh, the United Kingdom? The hope of the home of like people like Knox and and and, and great heroes of our faith. Uh, what did you anticipate, and what was the realities of coming to the UK? Yeah, so just a little bit more personal history. So my grandfather is from Scotland. My grandmother was uh, from England, and so I had been over to uh, the UK one time before with my mother and my father and my brother. And when we went over, we spent most of our time in Manchester, where most of my uh, cousins live. And so I knew, um, I knew some things about the UK, um, but I think just my love for history definitely created a desire for me to see this work. And on top of that, once ta I was talking to Ian and really realized the need in the UK for churches. It, it really um, began to warm my heart and to think of just that family connection that I have to the UK. So I think all those things kind of met 
and created a real zealous passion in me to say, let's, let's go check this out. And one of the things, Ian, I think that really cemented it for me was how much your specific context is similar to where I serve. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a lot of steel mills, uh, auto industry, car factories, but the truth is a lot of those steel mills have closed down. And of course, Middlesbrough is very similar in it, that it was a blue collar area and yet it's re hit up kind of a hard time with the, uh, with the closure of a lot of those, those industries. And so there was a, there was a, just a natural connection between the church here in Trenton, Michigan and a new, new life there in, in Middlesbrough. And I think putting all that together, my family connection, um, my love for church history, uh, the need of the UK for, for churches, and then obviously um, the fact that we speak somewhat a similar language <laughs> and there isn't a translational issues. There's not all the things we were going to face in Africa. And then just the, the contextual uh, comparison, it just seemed like such a great fit. And I, I truly think I gained a brother through this thing. Um, so I, I'm very thankful for, for the partnership. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, there was a, a definite friendship developed, like almost immediately we similar ideas on planting and on, serving similar context but uh, I think what struck me was when you you first got here obviously uh, I, I was telling you about the poverty the the material poverty the social economic poverty and I was also explaining about the, the spiritual poverty but often when you're trying to raise support you, you lay it on thick about how tough things are so people feel sorry for you and help you but I, I feel I was being quite honest I wasn't over dramatizing things in fact I think when you got here, it was almost as if I'd underplayed how spiritually deprived things were. Uh, so what was your impression when you met? I remember I took you out for lunch, you and uh, yeah. Yeah, you're the other elder that came with you. And we met two guys, uh, yeah. Stephen and uh, Matthew, that were Christians, but had been coming along to church and uh, were playing for our church football team. And what was your impressions of meeting uh, like every day yeah. at before? Another piece to this is my own investment in church in hard places, specifically in the United States. Of course, we're in the, we're in the state of Michigan, and we're only a stone's throw from Detroit, Michigan. And so anybody who knows the history of Detroit, it's, it's got a pretty violent past. Um, it, and, and there's a lot of renewal that's taking place there, but it's still a pretty um, underserved area. And we've been able to serve with a lot of churches in Detroit. Uh, we've been able to personally be involved in church, two church plants from our church into Detroit. Um, and so I had a real understanding of the underserved, the needs, um, you know, uh, physically as much as spiritually, just by my experience of working with church in hard places, as well as specifically in Detroit. But what I think opened my mind up in, into some new areas and what I really was taking away from that, that first lunch um, with Stephen and Matthew was how, I'll use the phrase post-Christian, it's probably, it's probably not a fair term, but the, the fact that even though the United Kingdom, specifically England, has the Church of England as kind of this uh, mother hub 
uh, we were in a conversation about religion class that they were required to take. And they laughed about the fact that the only thing that was religious was when they watched the movie Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg. And I remember just pausing and realizing that even though there is supposedly this presence of the Church of England, there is this huge void in what Christianity really is and who Jesus is and why he came and why it's so important that um, people like Stephen and Matthew know him. And I think that just gripped me. Um, hearing their own stories, but also seeing that they were just as intrigued to meet an American as I was to sit down and, and get to know them. I'm thankful that um, through, through technology, I've been able to communicate with both of those men still. And I'm thankful that they, uh, they, uh, they took us in and, and really showed us a lot of hospitality. So um, I'm, I'm thankful for that experience, but, but I have to say that was, it was uh, mind blowing to me because I think still here in the States, specifically in Detroit, there's still a strong spirituality. There's still a strong semblance of, of, of everybody's a Christian, if you will, even though we have to help them see that they're probably not in the sense of their true faith. Whereas where you're serving, it's almost just not even thought about. The whole idea of spirituality can be something like the movie Ghost and Christ is totally missed. And so I, I think that really opened my eyes. Yeah, yeah, and 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 maybe it's a, a sign of things to come in the states, unless the Lord intervenes as well. It's frightening to think, isn't it? That uh, for me, I remember as a child, I was at a Church of England school, and we had prayers daily. The the local vicar or rector would come in and would would lead assemblies. We'd sing hymns every day, and uh, everything was really focused upon Christianity. And then. Uh, just a, a couple of decades later, like God is entirely missing from schools or he's just a side note, if at all. And the hostility that comes towards uh, Christianity, which we used to be a joke. People went from respecting Christianity to laughing about Christianity to almost hating it in, in, in many contexts. So, yeah, and it, it's, it's frightening to think. And it was such a short journey to go from uh, that respect to that hatred. So how, how have you found things in the States then, uh, getting your church to, to back, to understand the needs and to, to, to back a church and to partner with a church whose pastor refuses to get on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the secret, uh, secret stories behind all this is Ian still has been yet to come to the States because he's afraid to fly. But um, we've been over a few times um, and we're hoping to come again in 2023 um, we were able to send a, um, an intern that served with uh, a new life, uh, Luke Schoon. That was, that was a fun uh, period of time. Uh, we learned a lot. I think both of us, uh, Ian and myself, about what that looks like and how to do that better and better as we go forward. Of course, uh, your daughter and one of your workers are coming here to spend some time with us this summer. So I think that partnership has really fostered and grown and, and been embedded in the life of our church. But at the beginning, I don't, I don't think there was any pushback. Um, people saw the need. Um, 
because I was able to come back and explain it. And just as I used that story in this podcast about meeting with Matthew and Stephen, I was able to share that story with my own people. And you could just see the look on their face that this place that had this great heritage of the Reformation, this great, uh, this great uh, theology that we celebrate as, as Reformed Christians, and yet today, even though there's great cathedrals, they're basically used as pubs. They're, they're empty. They're, they're places for people like uh, me when they come over to, to visit, but they're, they're really not places of worship in the sense that um, either the gospel's not being preached or nobody's attending. And so uh, I think my people caught the, the vision of why we need so desperately to send missionaries to the UK and why we need to be uh, supporting church planting in the UK, why we need to be funding uh, churches in the UK. And I, I think overall, it's been a great partnership and, and our, our church is very excited to see more, more of that partnership uh, kind of build. From, from the relationship with you, we've now started to support a church in Inverness, Scotland, which is another Acts 29 church with Chris Davison and uh, we're we're also looking at the possibility of, of of what it could look like to support a church in either Ireland or Wales and and just seeing how we can continue to to grow and flourish in, in our understanding of how to do global ministry as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. And again, through advances in technology uh, and even through things like COVID, we've been able to partner again then over Zoom working with uh, the cohort of church planters that you are working with. Do you want to share a little bit about the, the group of pastors and planters that you are working with? Yeah. So as I said before, we, we kind of have a three-step process. It's, it's to make an investment mature and then multiply churches that the recruiting of that has been uh, important to us. So how do we build a pipeline? And one of the m major areas is the, the maturing or the training of, of planters. We do offer paid residencies where church planters come in and they specifically are being theologically trained as well as philosophically. And we're working through methodology. Um, part of that is in classroom um, learning. Um, part of that is through online classes they take through the local seminary. Um, but another part of that is our cohorts where they're sitting side by side with practitioners, other, other planters, other pastors who have uh, the battle scars of what it is to be um, serving in their communities. And so we've been able to uh, incorporate, uh, you know, planters such as yourself who've come in and actually shared what, what you're doing. And so there's cross, uh, cross-cultural learning there and and we just find that to be so beneficial I know our our, our uh, residents are really blessed by that but it's not just our residents in our cohort we mix um, current pastors um, current planters um, alongside these residents and potential planters those who haven't been assessed yet or are being prepared to be assessed and be sent and so that cohort has been a great melting pot of just uh, elbows rubbing and, uh, and thoughts shared because they're learning from practitioners. And at the same time, the practitioners have a place to come and be prayed over, prayed with, um, encouraged, um, and, and learn themselves from guys like you. Yeah, it's been great and encouraging to, to take part in that. Uh, 
again, just really, I think there's been some yeah, negative press about Acts 29. There's been a, a lot of people suspicious of it. But There's a little podcast about that, isn't there? <laughs> I, I, I've not heard about that. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but for me, what I found is the, the churches that I'm probably closest with, uh, from the two networks that I've, I've been part of, Acts 29 being one of them, and, and the support that I've, I've got from yourself as a friend, as a brother, and I think that this, what Acts 29 does is it shows that the churches who belong there are passionate about church planting, are passionate about not building their own kingdoms, but seeing God's kingdom furthered and, and are willing to support one another to do that. Uh, and, and, we, and theologically, it shows that we're, we're aligned. Uh, yeah, so for a long time, when I was looking for partnerships, you were the first like long-term partner that we got uh, before we had anyone in England supporting us. I found a church in America that was willing to support us. But that support, uh, although it has been financial, is far greater than 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 the money. What we have is uh, the friendship that we've got. We've got a church in America praying for us. We've got a church in America sending people out to work alongside us and with us. Likewise, we're praying back, and it's it's kind of a it's, it's a genuine partnership where. In, in the past, many people would look for funding churches. There'd be the donor church and the receiving church, whereas what we have got has got something quite different. It's a partner church where we are serving one another, sharing what we have uh, and, and gaining what we don't have. So just, just share a little bit of, of other partnerships that you've got with other churches and how that looks both within the US, but also within Acts Nine churches uh, across the world. Well, it helps, doesn't it, that you have Mez who threatens me that if I don't continue supporting you, he's going to come after me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the the partnership is what is beautiful to me because it isn't just about sending a check. It, it isn't it isn't just about a notch in our belt, so to speak, or a, a pin on a map that we can say, look at what we're doing. But that um, when we sent Luke to you. Um, that was huge for our people. You know, they'd already had me come back and I was excited, but now there was this young man who wanted to go and the church rallied around that. And then of course, you know, that's a fun story in of itself, all the things that happened, uh, to our, to our resident or intern that sent right in the middle of, uh, the beginning of COVID <laughs> and, uh, all the things that happened to him along that journey. But, that's for another day. But, but the point being that relationship was even more cemented through, through that. Um, I think the prayer meetings, the, the being able to join a prayer meeting through technology has been a blessing. Um, the fact that, um, again, that your daughters and one of your workers, Michelle, is coming here and they're going to be partnering with something that we do, which is our summer camp. And, and they're going to be able to spend time with our young people. And it just, the more of those relationships that are cemented, the more this becomes like we really are family, doesn't it? It's, it's not just a, uh, it's not just a check giving um, relationship, but a true family. And that's similar to, to a church that we, 
partner with in Banstead in, in, in Surrey, in, in England, uh, Banstead Community Church, where we have a relationship with friendship between my wife and the pastor and his wife, but also our members, our friends, members come and attend our church when they're on holiday and vice versa. And it, and it becomes more than just uh, two church leaders sharing a vision. It becomes two churches sharing a vision. And uh, that's what's exciting, but sadly, not very common. Uh, I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but in the UK, uh, we've tried to promote the partnership that we have with yourself and with Dan down in Banstead to try and encourage other churches to to, to partner up and, and and see the gospel taken to the forgotten places through gospel partnerships like ours. But sadly, uh, the, the few and far between, I'm not sure of any other church partnerships like that. Why do you think that is? What, what do you think is the hesitancy between churches going beyond just sending a check and developing solid partnerships? There's, I think, fear. Um, competition uh, when you partner with somebody um, even locally in our in our little um, square miles that are that that connect uh, quite a few churches there's there's a, a resistance at times for the the pastors or the church planters to want to get together for fear they might lose parishioners they might lose uh, um, lose people but I think sometimes it's also, um, it takes work, doesn't it? It takes time. Uh, there's, I have to be as diligent about praying for you as I am about my own stuff. And I think that partnership at times, well, there's a, there's a huge maybe uh, on-ramp, but the blessings far outweigh the work. And, um, you know, when we, when we first went and learned how to send Luke to you, here, you had to do a lot of work to figure out what is a work visa, how's this going to work for him to come. Uh, we had to do a lot of work on our end. So there's a lot on the front end to create these partnerships so that it's more than just sending a check. And I think a lot of people don't want to invest the time. So it might be, it might be effort, it might be fear, uh, it might be competition, but there's reasons why people ultimately stay in their little circle. And I, I think too often we are more concerned with building our own kingdom. We all have these visions of grandeur that we're going to be these great, um, these great um, larger than life individuals like Spurgeon. The truth is none of us are. And so we're actually stronger together than individually. And the quicker we all learn that, the better um, we're all for it. Um, First Prize has been blessed by having the partnership it has with New New Life. That we've been blessed to be able to. Um, personally, I've been blessed. Uh, I've been I've been encouraged. Uh, you know that the relationship has, in many ways, benefited my people. One of which is the relationship I have with Ian and the fact that you're, you're willing to pray with me. You're willing to, to ask me how I'm doing, how, how many pastors have that. Then you have the fact of the relationship we have where we can exchange people, but then you also have the, the, the willingness of a guy like you, who's willing to, to, to spend time on a call with church planters here in the States in my little corner of the world um, and answer all their dumb questions. You know, all of those things are blessings and that's what partnership and families like we all have in our families those weird uncles we all in our families have those uh those those cousins that, that we're not 
uh, really excited about. But at the end of the day is that's what makes family so special. And when we can learn to laugh at each other's idiosyncrasies, that's when it becomes uh, beautiful, I think. And I think we've learned to laugh at each other. And, uh, and you know, uh, I can laugh at the fact that you're afraid to fly and you make fun of me for other things. But the bottom line is I know that uh, it's, I've gained a brother and that's the win. Yeah. Well, you, you, I've got a fear of flying. You've got a fear of walking over piers. I remember taking you to Ruby. <laughs> I wasn't bringing that up. That's why I said other things. <laughs> <laughs> and your brother wouldn't get out onto York Cathedral roof, would he either? So. <laughs> <laughs> After I'd walked up all them stairs, no way was I missing out on that roof. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is that, and it's not the first time I've been called a weird uncle or a weird cousin. <laughs> I was being polite. <laughs> it's generally by my, my my natural family; they call me that as well. <laughs> yeah, and Luke, Luke was such a blessing to have, and like you say, there was a lot of uh, time and effort from both sides to get him over here. And, and, and poor Luke, what, a, what an adventure he had when he came! But again, that was something. Uh, such a blessing for us and and what I found was uh, fascinating for the local people to to have Luke attend the outreach that we were doing in the library or in the church or in anywhere in the community even on the football pitch like we play football with lads who the brutal even the good players if they make a, a bad pass they're, they're, they're terrorized for the rest of the game then they're, they're not kind to one another uh, they're, they're abusive and they're very impatient. Yet with Luke, who'd never kicked the football uh, around proper English football in his life, they were so patient and kind and, and 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 caring towards him. It was unnatural for the lads who we play football with to be this way. They were all non-Christians, by the way. Yet they were so fascinated, encouraged that somebody would want to come to a place like Middlesbrough, especially from America. So that. Uh, that heart that Luke showed by visiting Middlesbrough was just so obvious to everyone. They were like, why are you here? We're desperate to leave. <laughs> why, why are you choosing to come here and not even get paid to come here? So, yeah, what was his experience? How did he... I, knew, I know it was a massive culture shock for him. You know, you know, Ian, what, what's interesting is when my... I, I mentioned that I have cousins who are in Manchester area. And when they found out that I was going to Middlesbrough, they all warned me, you know, be careful. Be careful. That's a dangerous place. And um, but when I got there and spent time with the people, I saw I saw um, sheep without a shepherd, people that desperately needed what you're doing there, you know, what Nathan's doing there. And that these these were whether it was uh, the Stephen and Matthews, whether it was um, some of the elderly people we had breakfast with whether it was uh, just people that were passing us by and you could see the, the desperation and the loneliness, you know, in, in, their, in their faces. It, it brought to me, wow, this is important. And we, we gotta have a church here. And, you know, part of the, the, where I realized the partnership was really growing strong was when you were struggling uh, through the building. Yeah, yeah. And I could see that it was of the utmost importance 
for you, but it was slowly becoming the utmost importance for me that I found myself just constantly praying for this, you know, for God to, to show us what, what was supposed to happen. And, and, and through all those things, that's how you become cemented together. Don't you? It's, it's through struggles. It's, it's not the easy, it's not just the fun stuff, but it's actually when there's struggles and you have to hold each other side by side. And I think for Luke, those struggles that he faced in coming into a context that he wasn't prepared for, um, experiencing the illness and having to be in the hospital, um, be experiencing the struggle of people not understanding his personality because he's, he's got that dry sense of humor. Uh, all those things created for him uh, so much uh, love for, for the people and for the community. And I know that he really feels like he got the short end of the stick because COVID happened and he had to hurry up and get out of the country. And if we remember, he never even got to say some proper goodbyes. And I know that still bothers him because to him, he's left part of his family in this place he had never heard about, you know, five years prior. So that's, that's the beauty of what God does when he's using the struggle to kind of bring us together. That's what makes families families, right? Is, is surviving the struggles. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And again, we're hoping to see, uh, Luke was the, our guinea pig. Hopefully he was the first of many that we're hoping to see go both ways. Hopefully yeah. uh, we might see one of our lot go out and uh, do an internship with yourself at some point. We're looking out at how we can do that. But how, again, it, it was funny when you told me that you are just a small church of 500 people. Contextually <laughs> 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 in America where you are, that is a small church. Yeah. Where where we are, that would be like a mega church and most pastors' aspirations would be to get as big as that. They'd be happy with 200 people, I think, many pastors. But your, your church isn't huge compared to other churches. We're a tiny church where you've got about 30 people on, on a Sunday. So it, it, you don't need mega churches to uh, provide these type of partnerships, do you? What, what, what is it that you need minimum to uh, build partnerships? And, and, and how do you see uh, other churches replicating what we've done? What, what is needed to have a similar partnership to what we have? Yeah, I think, I think all of us first have to realize that we can't be a kingdom unto ourselves. Whether you're a church of 500, a church of 1,000, or a church of 30, you can't do it alone. And um, we would miss out on a ton of blessings had we not partnered uh, with, with new, new Life. And so... I look at, I look at the reason as being, this is a blessing for us as much as it is a blessing for you. But what is required, I think is humility, isn't it? That, that ultimately I need brothers that I can serve side by side with that are doing things that, that are going to help me become a better pastor. And I think the relationship I have with you has actually helped me do that. Um, if, if you don't know Ian, you know, he, you know, one of the things you need to know is he cries a lot. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I don't think you've ever preached without crying. So uh, that, that part of that, that soft heart has 
in many ways captured me. Um, you know, th there's a there's a sense in which we all learn from each other. I think that's part of it. It's just being humble. I think another part is to recognize no matter the size that everybody has something to contribute. Everybody has something to offer, something, something to bring uh, to the table. Um, in the States, we have a, a sport that doesn't make much sense to people. It's called NASCAR. And NASCAR is a church that just, or a car that just keeps making left-hand turns as fast as it can around a, a circle track. But one of the things about those cars is they're covered with uh, stickers that all their sponsors put on them. And I always like to view every one of our church plants goes out as a NASCAR that's supported by multiple churches. And every church gets to put their logo and say, that's our church plant. That's, that's our church planter. And, and the beauty of that is whether it's a church of 30 or a church of 500 or a church of 1,000, we all, we're all in the trench together. We're all praying for that, that planter. We're all, we're all seeking ways to support that planter. And to me, that's, that's what should be happening. Isn't that what Paul did when he leaned on um, the, the churches that he had planted to help support Jerusalem? And isn't that what he was calling Jerusalem to do when he went out to go plant? And I think that, that kind of partnership uh, is, is biblical. It's, it's what is expected. We're not to be territorial. We're not to be, uh, so focused on fear that we're, we're, we're going to stay in our own little igloo, but that we're willing to really reach out and, 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 and experience the blessings of partnering. So that's my two cents. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And again, open to see through Medus Ministries, uh, more and more partnerships developed. Hopefully we can get uh, some partnerships going with, with other churches. Uh, you're planning on bringing a few people over next year, is that right? That's right. Well, we're going to take um, kind of the, the model of uh, what 20 Schemes does, and the idea is to, to do our own vision tour, uh, partnering with you and spending time. My goal is to, to bring at least 20 um, um, maybe as high as 25 or so people and uh, bring them so that they get a little bit of taste of the UK. Some of them will be the first time they've been to the UK, but also that they see the desperate need for the gospel in the UK. And my hope is that we're going to bring awareness and uh, hopefully build some support um, that in my real hope for that is that this won't be one and done, but that these type of vision tours will continue and we'll start bringing pastors from other churches, members from other churches, so that we all can start in, going back to that bumper sticker idea, slapping our bumper stickers on each other and all saying, we're in this together. Yeah, my hope as well is, like, I'll, I'll put you on the spot now while we're on the podcast, but again, what would be, I think, the icing on the cake is if we could partner together to see a church planted in, in England as well. That would be fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. So again, these... Outrageous dreams. I think uh, without these outrageous dreams, we wouldn't have what we've got now with the partnership. So I'm just going to keep on thinking bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Because when I sent that email, I, I, I'd heard of Luke Potter and uh, he'd supported one of our workers. And I thought, who is this random man that I've never met before, but has decided to support Shell? Uh, he'd watched a video that I'd been on 
on, on a 20 scheme site. And I just thought, this guy, it's just weird. He's, he's given us money. He's never actually met me. So uh, I just Googled him to see who he was. And then I found out he was a professor at a, a Catholic college. I thought, that's even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you somebody who's Catholic, supporting a Baptist, who he's never met before? But I didn't realize he's just at a Catholic college and he's Presbyterian, isn't he? That's right. And, and you, you have a podcast, which was uh, the Confessional Collective. Is that that's right? right. Yep. So I found this podcast and then I sent an email to your defunct site. And then just by the grace of God, you, you ended up finding this random email off this guy who was out with a begging ball. And yeah, I, I thought if just sending emails out can produce the fruit of a partnership like this, then I'm just going to think bigger and, and, and dafter and I'll just throw ideas out there and see what God does with them. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, Church planting is lonely, isn't it? And, and um, I mean, I've, I've been blessed to see you probably at your lowest, I think. I, I think when we joined forces, according to what Matthew and Mez have said, is you were kind of at that point wondering if you were even going to have to just shut the door. And it was like at that moment is when God joined us together. And it wasn't because we joined that all of a sudden anything changed, but it was for for you i think it was it was clear that god wasn't done with what he was doing but it's interesting that same thing was happening here because i thought what we were trying to do globally the door was just being shut because it wasn't working with africa and all of a sudden it was like no aaron you're not smart enough to learn another language you're just gonna have to work with people that speak english so for that it was it was a beautiful restart for both of us and i i look back at that and i and i really celebrate what god was doing because i think as you're as you're saying that email was just a kind of a a lifeline of desperity you know help me <laughs> and you were throwing it out to whoever would respond and at the same time god was working and stirring in my heart that i needed a partner who was across the pond as they say and so this has been a match made in heaven. Yeah, and I, I think we can forget that as planters. We've become so used to being on our own and to, to, to having wild ideas. And uh, we'll have 100 ideas and maybe it's one we're working. It's quite easy to forget that we aren't the ones who are, uh, although we might have bright ideas, it's the Lord who puts them in our hearts to start with. Well, the ones that work anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's also working in the hearts of other people. And like you say, I was so low. I, I was looking, the church couldn't exist just on us alone. Locally, we needed people from outside the area to support our work. I was, am I the right man? Uh, should I step down? Uh, some days I was feeling like a quitter. The other days I was feeling like I was flogging a dead horse and I should just walk away and, 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 and know when to quit. And there was this constant tension and turmoil and, and, and distractions going on. In, in my head and I, I get frustrated that uh, I do, I'd read every church planting book and follow every bit of advice. And I think the biggest thing that I failed to do was I was, I was constantly looking at practical methods to, to make the church plant work and forgetting to get on my knees and just pray and trust that like God stirred the heart of Pharaoh uh, and, and these Assyrian Kings to help uh, God's people that, if he was going to change the hearts of uh, heathens, he'll change the hearts of 
his own people to to bring people together in partnership so what i found was surprisingly enough was the more i prayed <laughs> the more these things happened and again what what tensions have you found then within your ministry and 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 how often do you have to remind yourself that regardless of what we do regardless of our big ideas without prayer and spending time in the word whatever we do is is, is pointless isn't it I think for all of us, whether you're a pastor of a five, a pastor of 30, a pastor of a hundred or a pastor of 500, even probably this is true of pastors of thousands is that we're always wrestling with what is success. Sometimes we think success is numbers. Sometimes we think success is uh, books that we're, that we're writing. Sometimes we can get the idea that success is a podcast or a, uh, a name in at, at, at some conference that we're speaking at. But what I've discovered is that success in the ministry is faithfulness. Mm. And faithfulness is um, requires a few things, doesn't it? It requires us first and foremost to be in love with God. Mm. It, it requires us to be on our knees and, and, and trusting and praying in, in utter de dependence upon God. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness means getting up in the morning and spending time with that same couple that has been fighting and bickering for years, and yet believing that the Holy Spirit can change their hearts. Uh, faithfulness means getting up and, and going to the library to run that children's program and believing that some parents are going to actually show up and, and uh, are using you more than just uh, as a daycare um, but that God is actually working in their lives. And, and, and so I really believe the key for all of us is to remember that success is faithfulness and faithfulness um, is, is stirred in us through the Holy Spirit as he works in us, um, as he conforms us more and more to the image of Christ. And so all of us recognize the, the process of sanctification is not a, an easy one or a uh, um, an uninvolved one. It requires killing sin. It requires killing uh, the death of many dreams. <laughs> That's what sanctification is in many ways. But it's also um, the joy of re rejoicing in righteousness. It's the joy of of sharing the gospel. It's 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 finding your contentment in Christ. And I think that is where the battle is for every pastor. I think that's where I find the battle every day. Um, because without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, without the Father's love, why do this? Yeah. And it's not programs. It's, it's not, it's not um, little, uh, um, little trinkets such as books and, and uh, podcasts that make it worth it. It's, it's the joy of God that shines upon us when he looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. So I think being faithful is the key. And that's the battle for each and of uh, every one of us every day. Yeah, it is. Yeah, a good reminder and a good place to end. Brother, it's been awesome catching up. Uh, thanks for joining me on the In Context podcast. I appreciate you. Love you. <laughs>